I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I found in my own life I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth. The basic pattern is to identify the fundamental doctrine or principle that's being taught. Find any invitations associated with and related to that doctrine or principle. And then also recognizing the promised blessings if we act in accordance with that invitation. Welcome to Words of the Prophets podcast. My, my name is Todd. I'm here with my daughter, Leah, and my friend, Rupkett. And this is a podcast where we discuss the latest talks from the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How are you today, Leah? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. That was very cheerful. <laughs> um, what kind of music have you been listening to lately? Um, my own. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on finishing up some songs that I've written and recorded. So that's what I've been doing. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I've yet to hear the final versions of these songs, yeah. so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, are you going to put them on YouTube or anything? Yep. Okay. Very nice. I'm looking forward to that. We watched a cool video about the Lion King music. That was pretty yeah. fun, and it talked about how the scene where Simba's dad died, how the song sounded like a hymn. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. Been some fun music. Yep. Rivka, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah? Doing great. Yep. What's been going on in your life lately? Well, we, my, the kids and I took a trip from Washington to Idaho to visit my parents and to help my mom. She had a surgery on her ankle. So we uh, were there helping her post-recovery. And then we decided since it was Memorial Day weekend, we'd take a trip up to our family cabin that's just outside of the west entrance to Yellowstone National Park. Um, It's on a lake. And so we are up here at the cabin and enjoying the Rocky Mountains and looking forward. Tomorrow, we're going to go in and and see some of our favorite places in the park. Awesome. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yellowstone is super fun. Yeah. Yellowstone's awesome. It is. This one's a quick one for us. We have a long one coming up in August. It'll be a chance to go out and hit some stuff we haven't, even though I've been here, I've been coming here most summers of my life, but there's still so, so much stuff in the park that I haven't seen. Right. Some of those parks you can just explore forever and never really see everything. They're just so yeah, massive. Yeah, so many hikes and so many, you know, waterfalls or little lakes or things like that. So Fun. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, today we are going to discuss the talk, This Is Our Time! Exclamation point, by Elder S. Gifford Nielsen. He, he did a fist bump as you read exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> you bet I did. Uh, look, anytime a former NFL quarterback speaks in general conference, yeah. <laughs> I am going to fist pump the whole day long. But <laughs> By Elder S. Gifford Nielsen of the seventy. Um, he is over our area, actually. So if there are ever area. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's like a bunch of people um, between us and him. But right. when there's big area wide trainings, yeah, sometimes yeah. he does stuff, you know, via Zoom or whatever. So anyways, mm-hmm. I was really excited for this one. And uh, it was it was fantastic. So, Leah, what was your what was your takeaway? Your big takeaway? Well, you mentioned football, mm. and I'm going to 
I mean, it's not a very short <laughs> takeaway, but but this is this is the big thing that I got. So he tells a story of when he was in the NFL, because you know why not? <laughs> um, and he says, in 1978, I stood on a football field in a stadium packed with 65,000 fans. In front of me were very were several very large opponents who looked like they wanted to take my head off. <laughs> it was my first game as a starting quarterback in the National Football League, and we were playing the reigning Super Bowl champions. To be honest, I questioned whether I was good enough to be on the field. I dropped back to throw my first pass, and as I released the ball, I was hit harder than I'd ever been hit before. At that moment, lying under a pile of those massive athletes, I wondered what I was doing there. I had a decision to make. Would I let my doubts overtake me, or would I find courage and strength to get up and carry on? So I love that last sentence. It's just like, I don't know. It's really good. <laughs> uh, what are we going to choose? You know, we all have, have the same decision. So are we going to get up and keep going? Or are we going to let ourselves be pushed down? Yeah, fantastic. He uh, he was also BYU quarterback, not just oh, NFL. Okay. I should I should make that clear as well for non-football fans out there. Um, so have you ever had a time, Aaliyah, where you just questioned whether you're going to get up and continue on, whether you'd find that courage? Um, well, he mentions wondering if he was good enough, and that happens like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> With like, there's certain things that I'm, I'm very confident in, but then there's others where I know that I'm good at things, but like, am I good enough? Mm -hmm. them, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, I tend to just acknowledge those questions, I guess, that doubt and say, and, and really where my confidence comes is through trusting in the Lord, because in a lot of those areas where I feel doubt, I, I feel directed from the Lord to continue in those paths anyways. Mm -hmm. And so I say, well, I don't know if I can do this, but I know the Lord wants me to, so I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> Great. So Fantastic. Um, so it's a, it's trusting in the Lord that gives you the strength to overcome those doubts. Yeah. To get up and carry on. Yep. Okay. Um, awesome. Ribka, what was your big takeaway? Uh, the, so this one, like the last one from Elder Debate, it's like another locker room awesome pep talk. Yes, it is. Just, mm -hmm. Yeah. Just so optimistic and positive and a lot of really good advice. Um, and... Uh, I, one of the like statements in this talk that, that for me kind of addresses, I guess, the way that I heard it was when he said, what role will we play and how will we understand what to do? I don't know all the answers, but I do know that the Lord needs us to be ready. Um, and I love that because I feel like in the, in the, like with the same energy as a, as a pregame pep talk, it's like that, like, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in this game, but get out there and be, you know, eyes open. <laughs> I played baseball. I didn't play football. So, you know, like mitts <laughs> ready um, and, and know what you're going to do. Of course he does quote Elder Holland at the end saying, we know who wins this game. So that's kind right. of nice, but, uh, but we don't know exactly how, how the innings are going to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I like that. And I connected too with the, well, the quote that Aaliyah shared about his 
right at the beginning wondering like if he's going to be good enough on the field. And then he t- talks about how he's under this pile of those math of athletes, um, wondering what on <laughs> earth he was doing there. And it brought back to memory. So I, I was a pitcher and I had one specific game where I was pitching and um, there's a really good batter up and I pitched and um, just uh, I, the batter hit the ball and it was a line drive right into my stomach. Oh, and yeah, fortunately it wasn't so high. It, it broke ribs, but it hit right in the abdomen. And I remember having a similar thought. It was a championship um, game laying on the pitcher's mound, waiting for the ability to breathe, to return. Cause the wind had been knocked out of me and just oh, thinking boy. like, why do I play this game? This is crazy. <laughs> um, but then, you know, the, the air comes back and you get back up and you're like, oh, I play it because I love it. So um, <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. like I, I feel like I could do a better job of taking that off of the pitcher's mound and into life, you know, when a hit comes <laughs> kind of weathering the hit and then being like, yes, get back in the game. I love playing this game. Yeah. Awesome. Now, were you, um, were you baseball or softball? Well, softball, once you hit high school, it's kind of, you know, okay. like co-ed and all baseball for, I started playing when I was probably five. Like T-ball, coach pitch, pitchy machine, (laughs) you know. Um, Yeah. And then then I played softball for City League and high school stuff for a while. Thought about doing it in college, but I went a different direction. So when you were a pitcher, you were like one of those fast pitch, swing your arm all the way around and rocket it in there? Um, I was – that was just sort of becoming – a thing. So I did the slow pitch for most of it. And then I started training to do that because I was looking at, um, maybe, you know, there were some scouts and stuff that were looking at, at us. And so I was thinking about training and going that direction. But then, like I said, I decided not to, not to pursue that. So yeah, I did some training in that, but my games were mostly slow pitch. Okay. Okay, so you took one to the stomach and mm. <laughs> had, a, had a moment of doubt where you were wondering, what am I doing here? It was. That bruise lasted a while, and it was one of those ones that had the threads you could see from the ball on it. It was a good one. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Sometimes life uh, gives you those, you guys. Sometimes it life does. gives you those. It does. Uh, to quote... Uh, Kung Fu Panda, though, or, <laughs> he says, you know, scars heal. <laughs> Wait, no, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> Wait, no, they don't. Wounds heal. What do they do? They fade? They fade, they fade I guess. I guess. <laughs> uh, so hopefully it faded and didn't leave a scar, but. No. Um, have you ever felt a gut punch like that from a church calling, Rivka? Where you, where you just wondered, what am I doing here? And You know, when I was younger, I remember thinking, like old older people must not feel this sort of terror when they get called. I can't wait until that's me. <laughs> and I feel like every calling I've been given since then, the gut punch feels a little worse because, oh, no. well, just because every calling you experience, you learn so much in. I feel like I've walked into every calling I've taken thoroughly unprepared for the the job. And then the Lord has prepared me and taught me and refined me through the calling. I think that's kind of the purpose. So yeah, I feel like those gut punches come most of the time with callings. Yeah. <laughs> I keep lobbying yep. for nursery leader and I never get it. So maybe that one wouldn't <laughs> come with a gut punch. But... Uh, it's like the, uh, 
the famous snowman Olaf said, this will all make sense when I get older. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, well, actually not. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. Well, you know, you, you know yourself better as you age. And so, you know, when you get asked to do things, you can know quicker all the ways in which you are, uh, you know, will probably fail <laughs> doing things. <laughs> and a lot of times you do, you know, fail in those respects. That's a very, like failure is a, a vital part of learning and progression. Um, yeah. So it's good. It's good to have uh, the challenges that any service gives. And that could be a calling to be, you know, a ministering sister to someone who's less active. Sometimes those have been the scariest ones thinking, yeah, how do I just cold call this? Or are they even going to want to see me? Or, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be big leadership callings that are scary either. I think all of us can feel that inadequacy when we're asked to serve because the Lord asks us to do difficult things. Yeah. I think baseball is a great analogy for that or softball. <clears throat> if you fail 70% of the time, you're considered great. You know, if you have a 300 yeah. batting average, you're great. <laughs> yeah. If you fail 60% of the time, you're all time great, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that doesn't even count the number of times you swing and it's a ball or a foul or a strike. Mm -hmm. That's just getting a hit. So really you're failing, you know, 85, 90, 95% of the time that you swing the bat, but you're still great. So, yeah, you know, I was thinking about when he said that, what am I doing here? And this pile of those massive athletes that it seems very, um, just sort of almost passe the way he says it, but he was, he was playing in the NFL. He was a professional football player and, and the amount of time that went into his training right. for years, probably decades, you know, is so much. And he's even at that point still questioning, why am I here? But <laughs> he's there because he, he was willing to put in the work and take, and take the knocks and not know how the games were going to go. And um, yeah, I think, this this talk talk speaks to the athlete in me. I guess I get yeah. that. I get it. What are you saying? I think it's easy to question your life choices when like three people, each weighing three hundred fifty pounds, are <laughs> are piled on top of you. Yeah. Like, how did so. I come to this? <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I think for me, sometimes I have that moment when I'm in uh, Bishop's Council, which is all the bishops and branch presidents in the stake with the stake presidency. And we go over issues facing the stake, which for the past year and a half have been like 90% COVID issues, of course. And um, sometimes they're, they're just like, they say such inspired things and they're all so refined spiritually. I'm like, how did I get invited to this council? Like, it doesn't make sense that I'm here. And um, all these people are such good examples to me of, of good uh, priesthood leaders. So I think we all have those moments. And like you said, Rebecca, I think the Lord puts them there. Hopefully what we can do is take them, accept them and um, use them to build, you know, a better future by relying on the Lord. So, mm. um, you know, one of my big takeaways from this was uh, just the title of the talk. This is our time. He used uh, this sort of rhetorical device where he repeats it, you know, multiple times throughout the talk. And, I'll just give you one example, but it's worth reading the talk and just highlighting every time in a different color, maybe. Um, he says, 
Maybe we don't always feel up to the challenge, but our Heavenly Father sees us as fearless builders of his kingdom. That is why he sent us here during this most decisive time in the world's history. This is our time. So, of course, he's he's telling us you you might feel those doubts, but the Lord doesn't doubt you. You know, he sent you here on purpose with a, re, you know, with a reason and with an end in mind. So this is our time. This is your time. And uh, he says that over and over. And I, it was just it just like you said, it was a good locker room pep talk. It got me really excited to 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 do the Lord's work. So, Aaliyah, um, what other quotes stuck out to you from this talk? Um, well, after he tells that football story, he says, I didn't realize at the time how this experience would prepare me for future opportunities. I needed to learn that I could be strong and courageous in the face of difficult situations. So he didn't learn that courage by not ever facing something hard. He learned it because he faced hard things and he pushed through and persevered. And so I, I guess that's like Rivka was saying, failure is a good teacher and it teaches us confidence because we know that we've done hard things in the past so we can do it again. So I really like that. Yeah. You can't gain that courage unless you face something like that. Right. Yep. There's a branch of psychology that um, is very popular right now, very commonly used called cognitive behavioral therapy. And one of their techniques is to sort of continuously expose you to the thing that is hard for you. So let's say you have anxiety and like you can't even go to the grocery store. So, you know, step one is get in the car with the intent to go to the store and just sit in the car for five minutes. And step two is to drive, you know, a block away. Step three is to drive to the parking lot and sit in the parking lot. Eventually you make it to, Hey, I did a full thing of shopping today. Um, and so of course that was a big fear having, you know, very strong, uh, heavy people land, crush you, you know, <clears throat> but, um, each time we face one of those fears, they get a little bit easier and a little bit easier and, and our courage grows and grows. Um, Rivka, what other quotes stuck out to you? He asked the question, when winds blow in our lives, where is our focus? And he, he had just shared the story of Peter walking on the water um, the savior invited him to walk on the water and, and it goes great. And then he gets distracted and by the storm and begins to sink. Um, and I love the, I love this question that, um, that elder Nielsen asks what, sorry, I just lost it. I'm just, see, this is what happens when I do it on digital stuff instead of paper. I lose things easy <laughs> as I scroll. <laughs> yes. When wind blows, when winds blow in our lives, where is our focus? I really like that question. Um, because winds blow, they come up frequently and, you know, sometimes I'm more distractible than other times by the winds and getting caught up in the worries and the concerns of the situation. Um, to the point where I lose my focus on, on my heavenly father, and my savior, of course, we're going to be concerned with, you know, the details of situations we're in, especially when they're difficult ones or painful ones. Um, but I, I love that reminder, uh, to ask the question or, or at least, to, yeah, you know, just ask ourselves, where are we focusing in this difficult time, whatever it is we're going through 
And then he says, the arms of Jesus extend to us just as they extended to Peter. As we reach for him, he will lovingly rescue us. We are his. He said, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by my name. Thou art mine. I love that. I love that reminder. Thou art mine. He's not going to leave us alone. He doesn't always pull us right out of the storm. But he certainly offers us stability in it. Yep. It reminds me of the talk. I forget who gave it now. They've all blended together. But where she said, you know, where is your faith? Why do you fear? And talk about the same story from the scriptures. Um, Aaliyah, what's the next part that stuck out to you? Um, One of them, which I thought was really cool. He says, while I was serving as a bishop, we had a motto in our ward. Good choices equals happiness eternally. The youth would pass me in the hall saying, Bishop, I'm making good choices. That's a bishop's dream. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I thought that was a really cool motto. Um, in seminary, we, you know, there's that section in like, I think it's like second Nephi or something where it talks about those who you can choose uh, liberty and eternal life or captivity and death. And we there was this really old video that we watched about these green and yellow doors. And if you went to the green doors, you would, you know, that signifies making good choices and you would have eternal life. And if you went through the yellow doors, it meant you were making a wrong choice. So <laughs> anyway, that's just like, yeah, you know, am I in that old center, I think from freshman year. Yeah. And um, I don't know, what, as a bishop, what do you think? <laughs> <on that? laughs> I, I loved it. I love, you know, I've really come to appreciate just simple, um, maybe not having a motto, but just having simplicity, you know, something that President Nelson has really taught us, mm-hmm. just using those simple phrases to really stick in your mind. And I love that the youth sort of latched onto that and would, uh, you know, accountability is a great way to help us to do what we know we should. And even if it wasn't formal, like, hey, tell me about the choices you're making this week, just to have that in their minds and have them stop by and, and say, hey, I'm making good choices. That's Pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I really like it. <clears throat> um, Arivka, did you read the part? I'm sure you did. Let me rephrase that. Um, tell me what your thoughts were about the part where you talked about the two great commandments. Oh, this is such a good, poignant, a little bit difficult to hear section because it causes some introspection. <laughs> yeah, he... He talks about the two great commandments and he says, I detect a third implied commandment to love thyself. Have you ever thought of loving yourself as a commandment? So first of all, I can say, no, I had never thought of that (laughs) until he said that. Um, Loving yourself as a commandment. And of course, later on, he specifies he's not talking about um, being prideful or being self-centered, he says, but to see ourselves as our heavenly father sees us, that we are his cherished children. Um, so I had two thoughts about this. One was, um, a conversation that I had several months ago with a friend where we were talking about receiving service, (laughs) being on the receiving end of service and asking for help when you need it. And that the fact that we may not do that, well, we don't do that because we think I don't want someone to perceive me as weak or less than or incapable and how we were asking ourselves whether or not that meant that when others ask for help, if we judge them to be that way, because it's, it seems dichotomous that we wouldn't think one or the other, right? Like, like if I need help, it's because I'm weak and incapable, but if you need help, totally fine. 
you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really work logically for me. I think that it's like, well, they're weak and incapable. I just, that doesn't mean that's how we feel, but we were asking ourselves this and this feels very similar to me where he talks about, well, cause he says, can we truly love God and love his children if we don't love ourselves? Um, so as someone who, and I've talked about this before, struggles with depression, one of the big symptoms for me, um, is a thought pattern that is, uh, self depreciating, but not like in the, oh, you know, but in like a very, like extremely cruel, um, thought pattern within my head about myself and to a level where it is, it takes away my ability to function and interact with people sometimes because I'm so consumed um, with that. And so I, as part of therapy and stuff, I've had to work through this. Do I view others the way that I view myself? Do I judge others the way that I judge myself? And of course, in, in the depths of those, I think the answer is no, but, um, but I think we do the things that we value in life and the things that we, um, strive for and that we give precedence to for ourselves, I think we hold others in that same sort of judgment. We just see things through our own eyes, you know, everybody sees through their own eyes. So this was a really like introspective sort of a section for me. Um, and also because I've talked on here, the second thought that I had about this was, um, once again, this idea of the just how vital it is having an understanding of our eternal our eternal identity is, um, because he says, when this truth sinks in, this truth that we are his cherished children, when this truth sinks deep into our hearts, our love for God grows. And if Satan is trying to do anything in this world, it is to get us to stop loving God. And, or even believing in him or, uh, you know, his existence. And so I think because it seems to be the way that Satan works, this would be a super effective way of getting people to disconnect from God, um, if they can disconnect from their eternal identity. So I did some notes and I made a list like I do of the different ways that Satan attacks and seeks to confuse us about our identity. And this is a big one in our world right now. It's so big about any kind of identity. Um, it's you know, gigantic. It's huge. Identity, fluidity, body shaming of all kinds of bodies, um, removing ourselves from group roles. Like, like family is not family can be whatever you want it to be. Right? You can like you can leave the family that you were born into and create your own sort of family, but those roles get disrupted, um, and sometimes we and that's end up more alone than we thought we would be. Um, online anonymity was another one I thought of, you know, like you could just be anyone online. You could be multiple right. anyone's online. You could have like 15 different avatars with different personalities and all, and all of that disconnects us from who we really, really are. Yeah. Yeah. Those are interesting thoughts. And I, I think <clears throat> identity and our relationship to, you know, our, our heavenly parents is I think all these areas of identity, even um, what we do as a job or what we do for recreation or a diagnosis we might have, those can all have that same 
effect, even if they're things that are helpful or good, like understanding, okay, you know, I, I've been diagnosed with depression and how do I treat that? Or, you know, I'm a doctor and I, I have a, uh, you know, a job. Those things might be helpful. They might be a big part of who you are, but if they supersede your, your divine or your heavenly identity, then it takes away from that heavenly identity and continues that disconnect. Um, and, you know, we can't as humans be defined by one word or one role or identity, uh, but that's what the world seeks to have us do is really just dig into any of those sort of identities we're given and, and really just make them who we are. And that, and then we give that identity power over us when maybe, um, it doesn't accurately reflect who we, who we truly are or who we truly could be at least. Um, I know yeah. Aaliyah has been thinking about that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a lot of the stuff that, um, I've been thinking about identity has been already said, but I guess, um, kind of along with this idea, I'll go back to that Moana, uh, thing I talked about way back when. Um, in her song that she sings called I Am Moana, she says, I am the daughter of a village chief. And in the same song, she says, I'm a girl who loves the sea. And at the beginning of the movie, those two things are um, almost opposites. Like you can't, she was told that she couldn't, um, you know, explore the sea and, and love the sea in the way that she wanted to because she had the responsibility of being chief. Uh, but at the end of the song, or at the end of the movie, she finds a way to kind of reconcile those two things with the idea that she is Moana. Like, she is she is just Moana. She's not one of those things individually. She doesn't have to pick one. She lists a ton of different identities in her song, but of course she ends it with, I am Moana. And so I think as long as we, even if we have a bunch of different identities, like my dad said, as long as we don't put them above um, the one that's the most important. And as long as we can use our uh, eternal identity as the one that we fall back on and the one that unifies and unites all those other identities and things that we do and gives purpose to those um, labels and identities, then I think we can be a cohesive and, and content, you know, not confused <laughs> person, I guess. Yeah. Rivka, did you have something else to add to that? Well, yeah, Aliyah, I really appreciate your thoughts on this because it's kind of got, got me thinking. And I'm, as I'm reading through the rest of this paragraph of his, let me try to say kind of what's going through my head. So I'm sorry if this is a little rough um, coming out. But he says, when we view ourselves with sincere respect, our hearts are open to treat others that way too. The more we recognize our divine worth, the better we understand this divine truth that God has sent us right here, right now, at this momentous time in history, so that we can do the greatest possible good with the talents and gifts we have. This is our time. And what kind of went through my head was, I, I wonder if talents and gifts, so if sometimes we take those things that are talents or gifts or even struggles, and we say that they're identities, but they're not really identities. They're aspects right. of us, right? They're, it's a talent. It's a gift. It's, it, maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's a handicap that we're overcoming because 
You know, anyone who has gone through a trial of any sort with the Lord knows that those struggles can be gifts. They are very often gifts that help us. So maybe the issue that we're having and even talking about this or that I've been having thinking through this is that we're mistakenly calling certain things identities that are not identities. That our identity is a child of God and all the different details that make us up, our talents or gifts or um, strengths that have come through struggles, um, but they're not identities. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? (laughs) Yeah, I like that. 100%. And I think that's why the world gives us such pressure to define ourselves in those ways is because it's an attack on who we really are. And so again, even those things, Some of those things aren't bad. Like I am a great soccer player, you know, whatever. Those things are great, but they aren't who you are. It's a talent you've been given. And um, yeah, I I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. And then with what he's saying, like if we can keep our eye on, on our actual identity, it gives us the power to use all of those things. Right. To, to do the work of the Lord. This is our time. Interesting that he talked about being focused during the wins as well. I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I can imagine as you have approximately four seconds to get rid of a ball before all those people converge upon you uh, (laughs) in the NFL, you have to have this incredible focus. So maybe he's taking some of those lessons from, from his time in sports. So, well, that was a very interesting discussion. Let's get uh, quickly to our promises and invitations to act. So Aliyah, any invitations to act that you saw? Yes. At the end, he says, I extend an invitation that we all pray to recognize and embrace our individual roles as we prepare for the glorious day when the Savior comes again. So he kind of talked earlier, I think it was this talk, um, about praying to know like what our purpose or like what, what our specific uh, job, I guess, is in this, you know, in this time. This is our time, but what am I specifically supposed to do? Um, so he says that we all pray to recognize and embrace our individual roles. And so, yeah. Was there a promise attached to that? Um, yeah. After that, he says, whether we are on a football field, in a hospital hospital room, or in any other place, we can be an important part of these remarkable events because this is our time. Okay. So find our roles, not our identities. We know what those are. Find our roles. And um, then we get to participate in this great work because this is our time. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a fantastic talk. Um, I recommend if you need a little shot of excitement in your life, you read it again (laughs) or listen to it again. It's um, because this is our time. And that was a great thing for us to to hear over and over. So, Aaliyah, how can people get a hold of us? We have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And on all of those, we are Words of the Prophets podcast. Or you can email us at words of the prophets podcast at gmail.com. Okay, and our next talk is going to be Bless in His Name by President Henry B. Eyring, Second Counselor in the First Presidency. So thanks for joining us today. And until next time, keep the faith. If we teach by the Spirit and you listen by the Spirit, Some one of us will touch on your circumstance, sending a personal prophetic epistle just to you.